Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I join in with Kevin in welcoming everyone this morning, especially if you're visiting with us. I'll let you know we are honored by the fact that you're here with us, worshiping our God, and that is exactly what we have done this day and what we'll continue to do as we open up his word and we study from it. Uh, several days ago, I guess last Saturday, a week ago from yesterday, I got a text from Morgan. We were in Florida, dropping the boys off there at school, and uh, he made mention to me that uh, the very next day on the Sunday, which would have been last Sunday, that uh, Jacob Woodison, his name would be put forth as possibility of serving as a, a deacon here at Traders Point, and... He said he, the elders had thought it would be good for us to maybe spend some time in study and doing a lesson specifically on that role, what the Bible and the New Testament has to say about that. He asked if I could put something together and uh, that it would be done soon, he said. Can you put that together? We'd like to do that soon. And so I texted back, be happy to do that. I'm excited about it. I'd be happy to do that soon, no problem. And he texted back, we'd actually like that the 22nd, if that would be soon enough. And I said, sure, that would be soon enough. I can do that. I can do that as well. And so that's what we're going to do for a few minutes this morning. We're going to take the Bible and the New Testament specifically, and we're going to see what it has to say about deacons serving here in the Lord's church. You'll be surprised that the actual, you know, the appearance of deacons in the Lord's church doesn't appear very often in the pages of the New Testament. Unlike elders, elders are talked about frequently, and, and, and there you can go to lots and lots and lots of different passages, but when it comes to the deacon, there aren't as many. I'm going to direct your attention to a couple this morning, one of which we'll spend the most of our time on this morning, but one such is in Philippians chapter 1, and it is where deacons are made mention of, and it is an important place that we find the term deacon used. The very beginning of Paul's letter to the brethren there in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, he really begins that letter in a very similar way that he begins lots of his letters. He'll introduce himself, who he is, and there'll be a greeting, a greeting of some sort to the brethren in whatever place that he's writing his letter. Philippi here, or whether it be uh, the brethren in Ephesus, or the brethren in Corinth, or the brethren in Thessalonica, or the other letters that Paul has written, he'll commonly begin in a very similar way to this, with an introduction, with a greeting. And he does that here in Philippians chapter 1. But what we also get here in this passage is we also are provided this picture of kind of the organizational structure of the Lord's church. Because he says there in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, to all the saints, this is a letter that I'm writing, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops, that's another word for elders, and deacons. And so we have a mention here of this role specifically, that here in this church of Philippi, a a church that is organized in a godly way, that it is organized and it is full of saints and they have elders in place there and they have deacons in place there. And what again this does is it gives us that snapshot of a biblical, God-based, organizational picture of the Lord's church. A church with saints, a church with elders in place, a church with deacons in place. 
The other passage that we'll commonly spend time, and where we're going to spend some time on this morning, is in the book of 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 8 through 13, where we are given there on the heels of the qualifications for elders or bishops in the Lord's church, the qualifications for deacons. We're going to read that passage together here in just a moment. But if we think about that word that we saw in Philippians chapter 1, the word itself, that word for deacon, it really comes from a, a kind of a Greek word, which means just by definition, attendant, minister, or servant. But what is really interesting with the Greek, when you kind of dive in to the definition of it a little bit further, you will see phrases like this. The idea of the word is basically that, not just of a servant, but an active servant, one who is actively serving. So it's more than just that generalized picture of, you know, there's a servant, there's a servant, there's a servant, but this is a word that is denoting someone who is actively serving. There'll be much more about that here in a moment. And so we have this picture given to us. We had read just a moment ago before the lesson in Acts chapter 6, even though there in Acts chapter 6, the very beginning of the Lord's church really, the word or the term deacon is not used, but I do believe it gives us a good model that we're going to reference and talk about a little bit this morning. There in Acts chapter 6, the church there in Jerusalem had a lot going on. Why? Because that was a church that could have easily possibly been a congregation of Certainly thousands of people, maybe upwards of 10,000 people there at that church in Jerusalem. You think we have a big church here at Traders Point at 300. What if it was 10,000 people and all of the organizational things that would come up with that? And the apostles there were having some issues and dealing with some of those things, and they weren't interested in letting anything fall for, through the cracks, certainly needs that are there. And so you have these men that are appointed to be given that task, godly men, upright men, appointed to take care of that so that the apostles could better spend their time in areas of prayer and areas of teaching. We'll talk more about that as well a little bit later. So if you've had time, hopefully, at 1 Timothy chapter 3, the other time that we see in the New Testament that deacons are made mention of, it is this list of qualifications. We're going to put them up on the board here in just a moment. We're not going to dive deeply into each and every one of these this morning. If you're thinking, here we go, here's what this word means, here was what this word means. I think there's some benefit of, of doing those kinds of things but this morning, we're going to kind of hit a couple of highlights, maybe ones that we don't think as much about. Others, such as, you know, things like reverent or don't be greedy for money. I don't think we need to really dive really deep into the idea that we need not to be greedy for money or our, our deacons need not to be greedy for money. But there are some other really interesting phrases that are found that I do want to spend some time on that are really almost found here and nowhere else. And as I was studying this week, they really came forth. And so I'm excited about spending some time in those areas. So let's read it together. First Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. We're going to read down through verse 13, and then we'll go back and hit a few of these together. First uh, Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, 
not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these also first be proved. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so I made mention that this passage here in the book of 1 Timothy really comes on the, on the hills of, at, at the very beginning of this chapter, a very similar list of qualifications for elders or bishops or shepherds. And so now Paul gives Timothy this list of qualifications for deacons. I want to take a look at a few of them with you this morning. We're going to start kind of with the negative qualifications. These are the the nots, if you will. The not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. One that I do think is interesting, since it's a phrase that we don't use very often. I use the New King James Version, and we have this idea of not double-tongued. That is not double-speak. It is not, I'm saying one thing to one person, but I'm saying something else to another person. He says this is not the idea and not what he really wants for any of us, but most certainly for deacons that serve there in the Lord's church. Why is that? Well, it's very simple in a lot of ways. It may be that they know personal information about folks, sensitive information. Maybe they get specifically from the elders. And they need to be able to control their tongue. Now listen, all of us need to be able to control our tongue. As we're speaking specifically about deacons here, they need to be able, they must be able to control the tongue. They've got to be able to control it. And so when we pull up this list of positive qualifications much longer, there's a couple of them for me that stand out. The list, reverent, holding the mystery of faith with a good conscience, husband of one wife, ruling their children and house well. They need to first be proved or tested. I want to point a couple. The first is reverent. It is a word we use a lot. But I want us to be thinking about why this would come into play for a deacon in the Lord's church. I think there's a simple explanation for that. And the simple explanation is this. If he is reverent in all things and in every way, he's going to never take his responsibilities lightly. You know, it's easy for us. We're responsible for lots of things. I mean, even me, I I mean, I've got lots of things going on in my life. I've got a lot of areas, a lot of things in the fire, right? And, And all of us do. All of us have lots of things going on. And probably a lot of us, there are lots of things that I'm responsible for. But I'm more serious about some responsibilities in my life than others. Right? All of us are that way. I'm responsible now. I'm responsible for making sure my grass gets cut. I've had these teenage boys for a long time, and they were super helpful around the house, like taking out the garbage, which I guess I'm responsible for now, and cutting the grass. Right? We had all of these great servants in my house. Right? Since we're talking about servants, just servants, right? Active servants. But now that's kind of my responsibility. 
But I don't take that responsibility as serious as, say, my responsibility as a husband. If something comes up with my wife that needs to take care of, I need not to be in the place to say, honey, I know we need to deal with that right now, but I do need to cut the grass. I'm not going to do that, right? I'm responsible for those things, but I understand where my responsibilities are. And for the deacon in the Lord's church, he's got to understand that he has a responsibility to the Lord's church. And it is a responsibility that cannot in every, in any way be taken lightly. And so that's the first one. The second one also was really interesting, this idea of holding the mystery of faith with a good conscience. What an interesting phrase that is. I want to break it down into a couple of pieces. And then I think it takes us into an understanding about what we're looking for when it comes to a deacon in the Lord's church. The idea of holding, right? That idea of holding, it suggests stability. It suggests stability. I am holding something. I am stable. I am firm with something. So what is he to hold? Well, what he is to hold is the mystery or truth of God. He is to hold that. He is to keep it firm in his hands. And he is to do so how? With a pure conscience. So I want you to think about what Paul is telling Timothy to look for in these men. I want you to find a man who holds the mystery of faith with a good conscience, who holds, who is firm, who is stable in his use and understanding of God's word and the understanding of God. And he does so with a clear or a pure conscience. I think that tells me is that we are looking for men here who are not weak in their faith, who are not immature in their faith, but men who are strong, faithful men, who are mature in Christ. Not that there isn't growth to be made. All of us have growth to be made. All of us have more growth that can happen. All of us have things that we are pressing towards. I'm not saying that in any way. But I think the point that Paul is making here is you're looking for men who are not weak men in their faith, but men who are strong in their faith, who are mature in their faith. Certainly the idea of husband of one wife, that is something, being what God would have a husband to be. Not just that he's checking a box here, right? It's not just he's a husband. He's not a very good one, but he is a husband, right? We're going to check that box. I don't think that's the idea that we're having here. He is the type of husband that God would have him to be. What helps us to understand and to know that that's what he's talking about is the idea that he's looking for those who rule their children and their own house as well. He's being a father, being the type of father that God would have them to be. Because the reality is, if there is neglect in the home with their wife or with their children, how then could they expect to keep up with their responsibilities in the Lord's church? We're going to neglect the home that most certainly would neglect the Lord's church. And so he says they've got to be a husband of one wife. They've got to be the type of husband that God would have them to be. They've got to be the type of father that God would have them to be. And then you have this idea that they must first be tested or proved. It says in verse 10, but let these also first, and I think that's important, be Proved, or your version may use tested. 
I thought a lot, a lot about that this week. What an interesting line. It, it almost reads differently in a lot of ways than some of these other kinds of things. Like husband of one week, wife, understand that. Rule their children in their house well, yes. Reverent, yes. Not greedy for money, yes, I understand that. But here, let them first be tested or proved. I think the point that's being made is that their good character should, number one, certainly not be taken for granted, or developed after they are appointed. I think the point that's being made here is they should be judged and fit to serve the Lord's church by their previous conduct. Deacons are not being appointed like the NBA drafts players, right? If you're interested, if you know anything about the NBA, what the NBA has really turned into in a lot of ways is their draft, whether they're picking up international players or they're picking up players out of college, a lot of the NBA draft is based upon potential, right? Here's a player. He's not necessarily been very good yet, but he has got a lot of potential, and he's young, and so he's going to grow into something really good. That's not the idea here. The idea here is that we're, we're not judging based upon potential. We're not looking at, at Jacob and saying, well, you know what? I can see in 10 years' time him really being a reverent man. I can see that he has that potential. Or that I can see the potential that he can get a hold of the incredible greed that he possesses right now, right? I mean, it's one of those ways that it's not that idea at all, that he is first, first to be tested or proved. And what that tells me is what is being looked at, what is being judged, that they are fit to serve by their previous conduct. Now, again, that is in no way saying there isn't room or need for growth. All of us have room and need for growth. All of us do, myself included. All of us need that. But it is not we are appointing or judging based upon potential. We are first testing or proving. Even their wives are mentioned. I think that's interesting. I was reading some things uh, this week, because when you read through verses 1 through 7, the qualifications for a bishop or for an elder, it's not specifics like this made mention of their wives. And I was reading that it's probably because here the situation that we have is given to us and may include both deacons and elders' wives. And I can take that, certainly an understanding of that. But it is listed here, kind of in the middle of being talking about deacons. In verse 10, and even in verse 12, it goes back to deacons. But it says that their wives need to be reverent and not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. And I, and I think that points to the seriousness of the responsibility. Listen, there are a lot of roles to be filled in the Lord's church. Lots of them. I think that's the point that Paul will make in passages like Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? 
that, that we, we are a body knit and, and, and together, different parts, fingers and, and toes and hands and elbows and feet and legs, right? We, we are all connected together and we all are different, but yet we have roles and each role is important, right? Every role comes with responsibility as one of the evangelists here. It is with heavy responsibility that I stand up publicly, and proclaim the message that God has given to us. That comes with responsibility, and it's responsibility that I feel. Teachers, Bible class teachers, in whatever grade you're teaching, it comes with a level of responsibility. Certainly the elders that serve us here comes with a heavy burden of responsibility. But even those who lead prayer, It comes with a level of responsibility. There is a level of responsibility for every role that is filled. And it must be taken serious. And as Paul makes mention to the deacons that will serve in the Lord's church, he says, listen, it is a serious responsibility for the man and his family. And it's one that is to be taken serious. And so as we look through these kinds of things, I want us to to think now a little bit of the work that they have. And I want us to start by kind of debunking some misconceptions about the role of a deacon in the Lord's church. There are two things that I want us to make sure we're clear on. Misconceptions that commonly come up. And I want us to make sure that we're clear on these things. And the first misconception is this. Elders are over spiritual things and deacons are over physical things. It is a phrase or a sentence I have heard for nearly the entirety of my life. And I'll tell you the phrase that way isn't biblical. There are only one type of overseer in the Lord's church. One, that's it, the elders, the shepherds, the bishops. There are one type of overseer. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, what does, what does that mean? What does that really make a big difference? Well, that leads us to the second big misconceptions about deacons, that deacons are just junior elders or elders in waiting or apprentice elders. They are to be separated in every way. So I'll give you an idea of why that's important. So we are here, 300 of us this morning. And again, there are several of you visiting with us. And there are several that maybe have been visiting with us for a little while. We here at Traders Point, we have elders and deacons already in place. Half of our elders this morning aren't here. They're gone. One is at a wedding. The other is at the birth of a child, right? We've got two spectrums taken, you know, taken over. So we have two that are here. Tim and Kevin are both here. I'm going to have those men stand up just for a second so everybody will know. We have two. I know you can do it. Both of you can do it. All right. I appreciate it. You ask God, you ask people to stand up all the time, don't you? I mean, all the time. You're like, stand up. You stand up. All right, you guys can sit down. All right, we have these two guys and the two others, Morgan and Keith, serve as elders here. But at the same time, we have deacons, several deacons. I don't know. I didn't look to see how many or how many are or are not here this morning. So I'm going to ask those men who are serving as deacons here currently to stand up so we could take a look at those guys. They're spread around, probably pretty good. Oh, man, evenly spread even. 
wow, that is really, we've got like three here, four here, five here, four here. We're pretty good. All right, you guys can sit down. All right, the reason I bring that up, and this, you know, hopefully, again, if you're visiting with us or maybe you've been visiting with us for a little while, that's good information to have, that we've got men that are serving here as elders, men that are serving as deacons. And the point that I wanted to make earlier about one of the misconceptions is that, you know, the, the two men and the two that aren't here, Tim and Kevin and Morgan and Keith, they are overseers of the spiritual things with regards to the church here at Trader's Point. And those other men that stood up, they are overseers of the physical things that go on. That is not a biblical concept. There are one set of overseers, one role that is given the burden and the responsibility to oversee the work of the Lord's church. We have four of those men here at Traders Point. They have the burden and the responsibility to oversee everything here at Traders Point, everything with regards to this Lord's church. Now, under their oversight, you have deacons who are there in every way to help in all things that the church and that the elders need from them. But they are not elders. They are not elders in waiting. They are not elder apprentices. They are not junior elders. And when that comes to be, here is an example. If there is a moment in your life, and this can be the case, and maybe this will be a lesson coming up soon because I don't think we're great at this. But if there is a moment in your life, a struggle that you're having, a spiritual struggle that you're having. And and you need, you you need the advice, you need the prayers of our elders. You need to go to them. Now, I don't think we're very good at that. We're good at, I think, the elders coming to you when there's an absolute train wreck that's happened spiritually in your life. Or you going to them when that same train wreck possibly has happened. But if you're just struggling with something spiritually, these men are in a position to help you. You need to seek them out. And I will tell you, I feel 100% confident in speaking for them that they welcome that, that they are open to that. And it's not just at 4 o'clock or 4.30 when they meet here. If you need them for anything spiritual in your life, you get a hold of them, and they will be with you. I have full confidence in that, and I have full confidence of speaking for them in that. But if that's where you are, and you're like, I'm desperate for the advice and the direction of an elder in the Lord's church, I'm going to seek out Tim Arden, because he's pretty close to an elder. He's a, you know, a deacon, and He's a junior elder. You're missing the boat on that. Now, I'm not saying you can't seek out Tim for help and direction and advice. Absolutely you can. We need to be doing that for each other. But Tim is not an elder. He's not a 1B situation. And so we've got to understand those are different. 
And so when we begin to think about now the role that a deacon plays, that's why I said that picture that we get in Acts chapter 6, although the word deacon is not given, is a great model, I believe. You have the apostles there at the church in Jerusalem, and they have something that needs to be taken care of, a benevolent of something, an administrative of something, an organizational something that needs to happen. Because of their size, it was a tremendous load. And these other men, godly men, not men pulled out of a hat at random, but godly men chosen and appointed for that task so that the apostles could spend their time in other places and helping the congregation there in Jerusalem. I believe that to be a great model for the work of a deacon. Doing the things necessary. Things necessary here to have the work that we have here at Traders Point in this building, out of this building, in our Bible classes, and, and the things that just have to happen for the work here to continue. There are things that need to be done at the direction of our elders. And so as we kind of close this idea, a couple of final thoughts I'll leave you with. The first is this. A church needs both elders and deacons. It's the biblical example of the organized church of Christ. Saints, elders, and deacons. Secondly, to be selected and to serve as a deacon is an incredible honor. This was a line I ran across and wrote it down in my study this week. But although it is an incredible honor, it isn't an honorary position. I loved that line. Because to serve as a deacon, one must serve. One must do their work. It's not just an honorary title to put on your chest to say, yes, I'm a deacon in the Lord's church. It is an honor, not an honorary position. And what helps us to understand that is how Paul closes that passage of 1 Timothy chapter 3. Let's read it one more time. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons, Obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. An incredible incentive and reminder put in place here at the very end of that passage. You see, as we open up God's word and we see specifically what God has in mind for his church. Let's not ever forget that. It is his church. It's not my church. It's not Tim or Kevin's church. It is the Lord's church. And because it is his church, he gets to determine the rules. He gets to set up the boundaries. He gets to say what he's looking for, what he's not looking for. He gets the say, and he gets all of the say. And he says, for my church, it's going to be in place with deacons. It's going to be in place with elders. It's going to be a place with saints working together, fulfilling their duties. And when that happens, an incredibly efficient body spreading the word in the community that we live in. It's an incredible picture of the Lord's church given to us in the New Testament. And if we can follow it in every way and work within it in every way, what an incredible thing that will come out. I appreciate you listening this morning. 
We're going to sing a song of invitation here in just a moment. Tim is going to lead us in that. It gives us an opportunity to consider where we are with our relationship with God. Brandon and I have been teaching. I've made mention of it several times in the high school class, a friend of the father class. It is in every way from all angles our relationship with God and how important and how serious that relationship is and how centered that relationship needs to be. Every piece of our life needs to rotate around it. Everything that we are, every place that we go, every person we come in contact with, everything should rotate around that relationship we have with God. It is the single most important relationship that we have. What a good opportunity we have right now to think about that. We're going to have a few minutes as we sing this song together to consider our relationship with God. And maybe your relationship with him isn't where it needs to be. You are sitting in your sin, which separates you from God. You can't have a relationship with him that way. And you know that it is that sin that can be washed away in the waters of baptism, putting to death that old man, bringing to life a new creature dedicated to him. That can happen for you this morning, a beautiful relationship with Christ as you put him on in baptism. Or maybe you've just walked away from him because of sin. Let's come back. He wants you to come back. He relishes to have that relationship again. And maybe we can help you with that as well. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.